Hello, and welcome to Teacher Tales, a podcast from the spirit of teaching. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I invite you to join me and my guests as we get curious, explore, discover, and learn more about what is really at the heart of teaching. In each episode, we will hear the story of a teacher, what called them to teach, what are their greatest joys and challenges in teaching, what inspires them, and what are their hopes, dreams, and vision for the education of children. We will learn more about the greatest lessons they have taught and also the greatest lessons they have learned. No checklists, no standards, no reports, no paperwork, and no data. Just stories from their hearts to our hearts on a journey to celebrate what really matters in the true spirit of teaching. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Teacher Tales. Today, my guest is Lynn. Lynn, welcome. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Linda. Nice to be here. Sure. I am a lifelong teacher and learner. I spent 32 years, about 32 years in the classroom teaching at the high school level languages. And I've now been retired from that chapter of my life. Um, I'm in the third year of retirement and have evolved doing other things. Uh, Still teaching just in different ways and different audience. So that's a real quick uh, snapshot. And then I'm sure in our conversation today, the other parts about me will show up. So how's that for starters? That sounds good. So why did you become a teacher? Well, the immediate thing was I needed a job after I graduated from college. I ended up in Florida, coming from very far away out of state, uh, across the country. And I had this degree in a, I had a degree in French, and this was back in the 80s. And it was like, well, what do you do with a French degree? You know, um, I don't know, we weren't so forward thinking back then, maybe, or maybe I had more limitations on my thinking about it. And the choice was, well, you can be you know, what did we always say? You can be an interpreter or you could teach. And uh, being an interpreter is, was not in my wheelhouse. So I, I guess I landed upon teaching um, because there was an opening in Brevard County and um, it made sense. And I did have an interest of um, connecting and teaching so much about connecting. So, so it ended up to be a really good fit. But in the short term, I was just thinking, oh, I, I, need, I need an income and I've got, to, I've got to pay some bills. You know, I have to pay my bills. How am I going to live? Oh, well, I'll just go try one of these two things because it didn't seem like there were opportunities for being an interpreter here. So teaching it was. So that was the immediate reason why. Well, you stuck around for 32 years, so I guess it worked out okay. So Yeah, obviously. So, so you know, it's a different, um, the pathway into teaching was different than I know yours was. It wasn't like it was my lifelong 
dream from being a little girl that, oh, I want to teach. It was not that. In fact, I didn't want to because I came from a family of teachers. Um, although in hindsight, you know, that's usually where you get the spark from. And, um, you know, it's obviously um, innate to some degree, you know. So, yeah, I stuck around even though I was one of those that for the first seven years, I would read the Sunday one ads going, well, what should I do now when I grow up? <laughs> and then when I did, I stepped away briefly um, for uh, a break at nine years into it. And I went into private business and, and did more of what they would call interpreting. And I, I absolutely detested it. I didn't like that. I wasn't cut out to be in the business world. And I realized within two weeks of being out of the classroom that, 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 that the classroom was my niche and I needed to get back there. So I just did a little tangent. I took a tangent over there and I ended up right back in the classroom within about four months. What, what did you miss about the classroom? What did you really love that called you back to it? Well, um, me being the boss and calling the shots. <laughs> and, um, and, and not that I'm a bossy person. I don't think I am. But, but that was the first thing. I, I, I realized that, oh, I like the classroom because I can shut the door and play. Basically, it was you know, an advanced play day. Uh, I, I like the interaction with the kids. I like, you know, having all that create the opportunity to be creative and create games and systems and ways for them to express themselves using the language. And, and so, yeah, it's like, you know, you don't know what you got until it's gone. One of those, it was, it was a classic. That's what that was. And then I was like, oh, still, I really missed the creativity, the interaction, the laughs. It was just such a fun place to be. So when I went back into the classroom after that pause, I then entered what I would call the middle phase of my career. And the next 10 or 11 years until I had the, the second break from the classroom, that was my period of flourish, flourishing. And I would say I was really at my most creative and the apex of my career. And, and those are my fondest memories anyway, so. I can imagine if you love the creativity and stuff like that, though, as, and I've known you a very long time, like over 20 years. So I've seen, you know, the, the evolution and the, 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 you know, step-by-step step through your career mm -hmm. and yeah. as, you know, things changed and more control and things being handed down where we were being told how we had to do things and when we had to do them and the creativity got stuffed down more and more. How did that, how did that affect, you know, your whole feeling about teaching and what you did in the classroom? Well, obviously it, it, it did have an effect. I mean, um, you can kind of, 
be in your be in the shadow there in the shadows for so long and then eventually you know the the hierarchy and the the programs do trickle down and and hit you so um how did that affect me well yeah it's it stifled my creativity because the demands became greater you know um with the accountability piece to the outside and having to um you know, do more and more things around data and, you know, everything was data driven. Um, you know, the way I looked at it was, was like with the advent of the internet coming into the classrooms, which was supposed to, gosh, was it supposed to free us up? It, was, it gave us access to more information, certainly. Um, to me, that was the turning point in teaching. That was the turning point in um, making things less enjoyable and having, it just felt like you had to do so much more, um, and learning, you know, of course we're always learning as teachers. I mean, good teachers, that's what we like. We like to learn and then, you know, figure out new ways to do things. So it was a learning curve and, um, you know, you had to embrace it because, or not, <laughs> And so as I got more and more comfortable, you know, with the internet and the systems, yes, um, it just shifted how I did projects and, you know, shifted the curriculum. Um, but it was more of the, the administrative data and details that I found, you know, just got so tiresome and cumbersome. Mm -hmm. um, but it did, it did certainly, you know, put a different spin on the creativity. Then it was more like I could give parameters of um, how to do the same kind of projects with the same, you know, the information I wanted the kids to glean, but it was more up to them to, you know, use those systems to figure out how, whereas we didn't have that before. Yeah. You know, so again, knowing you a long time and, and stuff and seeing all of this stress ramp up and the demands ramp up and everything like that. Um, so I, I saw a quote this morning, actually, it was in a horoscope. So I'm going to refer to this because I thought, oh, the universe has sent me this to kind of talk to Lynn about it, because this is what I saw with you always being calm and always being able to handle things. Um, and it says, uh, you could feel like you're doing the high wire plate spinning act um, with all you might have going on, your own health and welfare could seem like a low priority, but they're not. You need to have rest, recovery, and soul centering activities to keep your sanity and not get overwhelmed. And so I, I saw you make your self-care and practices a priority to be able to manage that plate spinning, because if you can't manage that plate spinning, the plates are going to get broken. And then you mm -hmm. just have a bunch of broken plates. So yeah, so I, well said. So one of the first, um, things that I saw you do that was not in my wheelhouse. I had not been exposed to this in my 
family or background or whatever was we shared a room at a conference together and we got up in the morning and you were meditating. And I was like, what is this thing she's doing? And you just, <laughs> that's how you started your day. Yeah. To always center yourself, yeah. you know, that soul centering activity and yeah. to kind of recover that sanity so you didn't get overwhelmed. So, and, and there were other things that I've seen that you've done over the years too. I can remember, um, and you've taught me so much about these, these self-care practices to center our souls. I would visit your classroom and there was a, uh, a tree outside your classroom. And when things would get overwhelming, you would go out and just, you would like touch the tree and sometimes even hug the tree, which a lot of people, adults would be like, my gosh, that's weird. She's weird or whatever. But the mm -hmm. kids didn't think it was weird. They thought that it was perfectly normal. And I don't know, kids would get overwhelmed with something. I don't know, maybe send them out to hug the tree. You know, I mean, maybe <laughs> well, mindfulness that I just see there's a great need for that now. Teachers are, and the kids are everywhere. And I think this is a great conversation for us to have because you certainly learned it and evolved with it over the years back when a lot of us were still not even aware, you know, not conscious to what was yeah. going yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, I get, I'm going to be classified as a tree hugger now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can edit that out, like I said. And that's all right. That's all right. No, no, no. I, I'll I'll gladly wear that um, moniker. So I guess, well, for me, you know, things don't happen by accident. So as I was listening to recall those those things. Um, they just came naturally to me and I, I'm sure I was exposed to it probably through, you know, somebody in my circle or an older sibling. Um, so when things don't happen by accident, it's, it's as I came to um, awaken to my, my uh, spiritual path and grounding, I, I started connecting the dots around all of that. And I realized that, you know, we just, we're born this way. We come in this way with these gifts and talents, all of us do. And, you know, it's at your own pacing that you, you become more and more aware of them and what they are. And, you know, you shine them off and, and then, you know, you start, uh, maybe not by choice, but, but uh, others, because of their being around you, then they become more aware of these things as well. I mean, we can apply that same um, pattern to teachers in the classroom. You know, I wasn't a trained teacher. I just walked into the classroom one day and I then grew or became a teacher through the experiences that I, I gleaned and I watched others, right? I had mentors who shared their ideas and materials and helped me. So, this is how life is, you know, it's like you, you get um, shown the way and then you, you decide, yeah, that's for me. Um, so as for the meditation, <laughs> that, that became um, a, a very necessary and daily part of my routine. I was always one of those that got up in the morning and did exercise or did something for my body. So 
then I started adding that mindful piece on with the clearing the mind. And um, I'll just say a, a couple of sentences around that. The reason why you do that right away in the morning before you get going outside of the house is because when you first awaken, you're, your head isn't, um, you're in the most allowing state and your head isn't full of thoughts. Um, you know, like the to-do list and what you have to, what you have to accomplish. So you're, you're really the clearest. And that's the moment when you just want to quietly stop and sit down and breathe. And it seems funny because, you know, it's like, well, we breathe all the time. I mean, you know, be mindful and notice your breathing. So a meditation could just be two minutes. It could be five minutes. Um, and that practice for me, it's always evolving. You know, I'll, I'll vary it from month to month as to how I how I do it first thing in the morning. Um, jumping to the piece at the classroom that you witnessed when you would come visit. Um, yeah, you know, when the stress gets to be a lot or as you know, we know as teachers, it's just so much easier to go and teach even when you're not feeling your best versus getting a substitute. And, dealing with that later so sometimes you know uh it became more and more towards the end it was just like my body wasn't quite ready to start the day so so if I came with pains and aches what worked for me that that didn't involve taking you know an aspirin or a, a pill or something was just to go outside and sit and breathe during the five minute passing period in the courtyard with the plants and the trees. And if I was really not feeling so great, I would lean against the tree. So like my spine and my neck would lean on the tree itself. And it kind of became a little game for me. Like, uh, let's see if I can just blend in and the students don't notice me as I'm walking, <laughs> as they're going to class. And so then that's what I would do. And, and um, you know, without drawing a lot of attention to myself and in which I would feel better. And there's a whole piece as to why, but you know, nature, it's just really important to connect with nature. Mm -hmm. it, it brings us back to our natural state of being um, because we are, we are wired to heal ourselves. And so um, that was just one, one little trick I found that I, that was always there and uh, it worked. So yeah, well, we can evolve that into um, more discussion. Well, I mean, it's, it's important to, for teachers to, to understand nature and getting out in nature and getting some fresh air, getting out of the classroom, because we tend to stay in our classrooms. Like you said, close the door, we stay in the classroom. A lot of classrooms don't have windows. And so you don't get the sunlight and that sort of thing. And I think the pandemic has taught every human being on the planet the importance of nature and getting some fresh air and being able to get outside and how calming nature is. There's a lot of bird watching going on now and a lot of flower planting and garden growing, you know, with vegetables and stuff like that, because it's healing. That's the point of it. It is very healing. And teachers, like you said, often 
don't give ourselves the permission or the time to be able to work that into our lesson plan of the day, so to speak. And it doesn't have to take up a big chunk of your time. It can be just a few minutes. It's the practice, just like the best practices in the classroom, the most effective ones that are going to help you go from point A to point B through that lesson or that journey and that path for the day. So you figured that out and you, you yeah, I guess that, well, it was through necessity too, because, you know, as, as we said a little bit earlier, um, as things shifted in the way we taught and with the internet and things coming, you know, then the students needs changed as well. I mean, you know, nothing remains stagnant, right? And it's all evolving. So then I found that I had to come up with better, different and better ways to get the kids centered and grounded so we could learn or I could, I could, you know, share the lesson of the day. You know, if your subjects (laughs) aren't willing to um, buy into it or settle down because they've got so much going on in, in their own world, they can't they can't begin to concentrate. So out of necessity, I found things that, that worked. Um, and would you like me to share what those were? Yeah, sure. If you're um, comfortable doing that. Yeah, oh, for, for certain. So, well, there's two things. I mean, you touched on the importance of teacher self-care, which I did make a little list about that, that I would like to share today. And then in the classroom, yeah. Um, I just really got into having the kids work together in groups and, you know, I would start class a lot of times, like with, with this thing I called circle time, which is just a very, very ancient um, tradition with the natives where, you know, you sit in a circle and you have a talking stick and you pass it around and you can share what's on your mind. So I, I took, I found that I, I, took ancient practices that I knew and did in my spiritual groups. And I applied them to the class, I adapted them for the classroom. And I found it to be very helpful. It helped the kids, it helped build connection, helped them express. And then I could obviously adapt it into um, language. And then any chance I got, I would take the kids outside and so an exercise that we might be doing inside the room, I would shift it and bring it outside. And, you know, I, I liked things that involved the different senses. So, you know, as remember we had to, um, well, we didn't have to, but we, it was, there was that phase of our teaching career, Linda, help me with the name of it. I don't know, was it the intelligent gardeners intelligences or what was it? And when we did a lot of kinesthetic, you know, I would do a lot of, kinesthetic and audio and visual and um, sequence intelligence, the multiple intelligences. Thank you. I haven't used that word in a while, but, but, um, and it was really important to, to use that with the kids for their success. So I would just take those things and modify them and take them outside. And so here's what that, yeah, you need to get out of the classroom because of, you know, the air is stagnant. The lighting is not healthy for us. Um, and I remember at the 
first part of my, well, yeah, first and second part of my career, I'd leave my classroom after hours and hours of being boxed up there with no windows. And my eyes hurt, you know, they had to like adjust to the sunlight. It's like, what am I doing? This is like no way to be, you know, living. <laughs> so as often as I could, I would put myself outside during the passing times and get the kids out there. Breathing fresh air is, you know, good. We don't need to talk about that, the health benefits of that. Um, so that was important. Um, and then the centering activities. So I just took what I was doing with myself and I applied it again, just, you know, before we would start the day or the hour as it were with the kids. Um, so that clear intention setting, you know, we'd have a lesson plan. And so what worked for me was before I got, I would drive to school, I would sit in the parking lot. So I, I'll bust into my list here of important teacher self-care. And then of course, maybe the listeners, you know, you're gonna hear something and adapt it or not for your own um, needs and purposes. Um, before I got out of the car, I would really set a clear intention about how I wanted my day to run. And I would take that few seconds, maybe more, maybe a minute, and I would just turn the engine off and breathe and notice my breathing. I would breathe in and exhale and notice that and just give myself that moment to, that's what we say, ground. In other words, I'm not flighty and full of thoughts of running like a rabbit, just being more calm and intentional about what I had to get done. So, and then, you know, that was a good moment too, to call in my, my spiritual help. So I would, you know, call in angels that I felt associated with and ask for their assistance and, you know, that, and to help not just with me, but with all the teachers and all the kids. And so it just became like sometimes little mantras. And then I would get out of the car, collect all my things and go into the building. And I would, you know, do, do a similar thing inside my classroom before the kids entered for the first moment of the day, which was again, setting the intention for how I wanted the classroom to be um, in terms of the state of being, you know, I wanted peace and tranquility or joy and let this place be, you know, a place of safety and a safe haven and learning and, you know, and always presenting everything in the way I wanted it to be and not, putting in words of what I didn't want. That's super important. So that fell in line with, um, you know, teacher self-care. So setting clear intentions for how you want your day to go, how you want, how you want to feel, how I'd want to interact with the kids, um, things like that. Um, the meditation, of course, in the morning, you know, for my own self at, at home, um, the importance of getting exercise. I'm one of those people that has to have regular exercise and not everybody's like that. So even exercise just might translate to, well, I get out and I walk around the building once during my planning period. 
or, you know, if you could get access, go out and um, walk around the, the football field or the track, you know, it sounds like a little bit more of an endeavor, but the payoffs are massive, you know, it gives you a moment to breathe or do that during lunch, you know, go sit out if you have a courtyard and be with the, the plants and the sunshine. Um, those things are super, super important with the teacher self-care. And that's, that's why you're at work. Um, and then the other piece, the other side of that, of course, is getting out of the building at, at a regular certain time every day and really putting yourself first in terms of your needs once you left the building. So I was one of those teachers that wasn't very good at that until I needed to be because my health started to, to you know, suffer a little bit. And I thought, you know, I've got to have a more regular system. So then I really did put myself on a schedule of, you know, you will come earlier, but you will leave at this time every day, no matter what. And because if you're not taking good care of yourself, you're just not going to be so good for anybody else. And, you know, as teachers, we give and give and give. And I always find, I always witnessed that the people we didn't give to that were the most important were ourselves. That's where teachers really need to be mindful. And it's not a selfish thing. You have to take care of me first. It's like, because if you don't, like I said earlier, you know, it goes, it can go downhill. Um, I'm often reminded with that phrase about being on an airline, you know, when you take off on a flight and the pre-flight instructions are, if you lose, if we lose cabin pressure and we have to put a mask on, always put your own mask on first before you put it even on your baby. It's such a simple thing. We're used to, we understand that concept when we're flying. Why is that so hard to do in our everyday lives? And that's where it's so important. Mm -hmm. So teacher self-care, um, the rest, you know, taking time out for yourself, giving to yourself and joyfully allowing yourself to receive that. And then, um, you know, being in nature. And that doesn't mean I got to go, you know, find a big wooded forest. I mean, that could be just taking a walk around the block or um, I've always been a gardener. So I found that for me, the best therapy for that was, was to go out and just, you know, pick some weeds and talk to my plants and, and the whole gardening piece, you know, is so very rewarding. And then it gave me another connection with, to build with students as well. Um, and then the last piece on the self-care would be affirmations, always putting everything in a positive light about what, you know, how I wanted things to be and go. And, and if it was too big of a leap, like, well, if I can't, you know, if I can't seem to get there about, um, about a certain belief, I would then just couch it in that, well, what if I could, like, what if I really could be organized and feel like everything was done? Because, you know, as teachers, we never get it all done. We always feel like there's more and more and more, right? So then I would just, you know, introduce the idea, well, what if I could uh, accept that it's enough for today? So I found 
you know, little helpful things like that. And then the sticky notes, of course. So that's my quick uh, four or five things there. Uh, the other thing that you can work into that self-care and connection is music. I made sure I played music every day in the classroom. Somehow I incorporated that because music sets everybody at ease. It gives you an opportunity, you know, to, to sit, to, to, to just like relax a little bit. And um, I had the kids sing. I was a big, you know, not that I'm a great singer. I don't think I am, but I got the kids to sing. Because when you sing, it raises, it raises one's vibration. And it was like, whoa, the classroom, you know, the, everything would elevate. So I was always coming up with songs for them to sing around grammar that I was teaching. I would create things. And because singing music always raises one's vibration or it raises the vibration of wherever you are. And when you're involved in the making of that music with the singing, then, then you go up as well. So, you know, and then kids can play their pencils or whatever. Now these sound like old fashioned things, yeah. Because you know everybody's got their ear pods in nowadays, and they're listening to their own playlists. But I was really adamant on um, unplugging and plugging into the classroom vibe, and and doing that so that we became more of a group doing it together. That was a long-winded. Um, <laughs> no, think I, you I touched, touched on, on a lot of, of um, really important things that I think the teachers can glean from this. I mean, and we are going to do a, another one of these in the future where we can dig deeper and, you know, dive into some of these practices and, uh, and talk about some other resources and how teachers can reach out to you for some guidance and help and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. Best practices for teachers. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because you know, that's the thing is that as teachers, and I see this with, you know, all the teachers that I know, you know, my daughter and me, I did the same thing. I would push and push and push and push and think, I don't want to disappoint. I don't want to disappoint the kids. I don't want to disappoint myself. I have this great responsibility mm -hmm. to make a difference, to make a difference in their lives, to make a difference in the world. And so I've got to keep pushing. I've got to keep pushing. I can't, I can't take a break. I can't accept less. You know, I want to do more, more, more. But like you said, unless you put your oxygen max, mask on first and you're able to breathe and let that energy flow through you, that oxygen flows through you, you're not going to be able to do for anyone else. And so it's, it's, it's really important. And I don't know, you give a, we were talking earlier because here again, the universe sends us things and you were talking about, you had some plumbing issues and you used it as a metaphor. <laughs> Can you remember that or? Absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll condense it though. So uh, yeah, I had a plumber here at the house before you and I got online and I, was thinking about how what he was doing applies very much to life. And it was, was very unexpected too. I mean, we had this scheduled and this is like a teacher's day every day. We have all these expectations and these plans and these, you know, 
but what happens in the classroom is always unexpected and not <laughs> always planned. And so yes, exactly. I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I wanted to no, make no. that connection because oh yeah, super was important. the last thing on our mind today. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly it. You'd have that perfect lesson planned, and then you know there'd be uh, what would there be? There'd be the unexpected fire drill, or there would be. Yep. <laughs> yep. yep. There would be. Uh, you know, something that was due at the front office or, or the, for me, it was always that phone, the phone would ring and I would yeah. be just like, ah, you know, yeah, we're so used to that as teachers. Absolutely. So that's what happened here is I had, uh, I had two blocks, one in the bathroom in the shower drain and one in the kitchen. And of course it's all connected. And so, um, it's interesting because, you know, it got a little more challenging to, you know, take a shower without standing in the water and then the, the kitchen drain drains. But, you know, I noticed with the dishwasher it was like, mm, there's a backup. So when I first got a hold of my plumber friend up the street, I said, you know, it's not urgent, you know, come when you can, that kind of thing. And so then it's been a while since I requested him to come. And then when he, he finally got here today, the interesting piece for me was, was the, the connection of it all, right? And how I'll explain how this applies to life. So he started with the, the blockage that was the most obvious in the bathroom shower and you know, he was there for quite a long while. And I thought, hmm. And then he determined that, you know, there's probably a break in the line. And so, you know, well, I'll go to the kitchen and see how, how serious that is. Because the, the kitchen and the bathroom, the, the bathroom ties into the kitchen. Let's put it that way. in the main line. And so then he determined, you know, where that block was and yes it met up with the previous one so then that took him to go to the outside wall uh, of the same line and look in the little hole there and he determined that you know oh this is you know not the two inch diameter it should be it's like maybe more like three quarters of an inch at this point so you know with each um with with each place, he, the problem got a little more serious. So, and then at one point he even had to go home and get a, you know, a larger size snake and come back. And then, then the last thing was he had to get up on the roof and go at it that way. Okay. So how does all this apply to life? Well, I was thinking about how, um, it gets, and then he got it cleared and he goes, okay, you know, I've bought you some time. This is an eventuality because, you know, everything is so old and you have a, a break in the line and I've cleared it for now. It's going to be a matter of time before, you know, we're going to be back in the same place again because you really do got to have it fixed at some point. So I was thinking about life and how, you know, we go along and we have issues that crop up because that's the nature of things. And we might fix things 
you know, in the time being, however that comes about, it could be with your health, it could be with, you know, your physical or your mental health or your relationships or however it is. Um, but unless you really dig into the deep layers, like what needs to be done here, he's got to bust through the wall and get to the actual old pipe and take it out and then replace it. If we don't do that in our own lives with the things that crop up, you know, it's just like you're constantly putting Drano down or, or, or something, you're putting a Band-Aid on things until the next uh, dike blows and it all does tie into each other, just like the plumbing lines do. They all eventually connect to the main line. So you're only as good as how deep you've gone. And then even then, you know, you're still, you need maintenance. And just like us, we need maintenance. So I, I hope, hope that that um, metaphor translates to life. Yeah, I think it does. And even to how things unfold in the classroom when we're teaching the kids, because we're going to come across blocks where they're not getting it, where we're not getting through to them. And we can't just do a quick fix, like give them more work or explain it again, you know, again, louder or whatever, you know, we think we're doing, we have to get to the root of it, or we have to take, you know, right. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's, an entire deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the word scaffolding comes right to mind because we were always thinking about our scaffolding, our activities in the, in the classroom. And so, you know, you can scaffold only if the foundation is strong enough to support it. And that's certainly the case here. It's like, if we as the teacher, I don't have a solid foundation under us in terms of our health and well-being. You know, we're only going to be able to, to do so much. Um, and, you know, we have to provide that for the kids. I mean, that's part of our job is to, to be that the way shore of this is how you can scaffold. Um, so, you know, certainly with the subject matter, but I always was one to take it to life matters. <laughs> mm-hmm. That that was my focus in the classroom. I was like, I don't really care if you can't ever remember a word of French or Spanish. I want you to be able to think through a problem that comes up in life and they will come up and think about how you're going to address it and chisel through it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know that I, I was um, maybe not such a, um, Oh, I don't know. And I, I, I'm not going to judge myself on that, but I just had a different approach, I think, than, than, you know, the strict grammarian in terms of, you know, the old school way. For me, it was more like, let's look at big picture here. So um, that certainly applies to us as teachers and human beings. Let's Absolutely. look at the big picture and see how we can all fit it all together. Absolutely. So like I said, this is going to be a, another conversation and a deeper conversation in the future. So everyone stay tuned. There will be another one with Lynn, uh, because I think this is critical for teachers now. I mean, I hear it all the time. I hear 
you know, what you said about the fire drill, my daughter called me after school yesterday and was like, oh my gosh, I didn't get to this, this, and this, and I have this thing to do tomorrow. We have a PLC tomorrow. We had a fire drill and it lasted an hour and a half because there was a problem with this. And I was like, in the bigger picture, it's okay. You have a reset for tomorrow. And then, and we tend to, we just, it's a practice. We have to learn how to, to, to do these best practices for ourselves. But quite often we're not looking at taking care of ourselves first. We're just looking at those spinning plates and trying to keep in, you know, to keep them in the air. And, uh, or yep. here, yep. Yep. we're Very not looking good. at that oxygen mass that's in front of us. Right. Thinking, no, no, I got this. I can breathe on my own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we tying it out? back in. Sure, <laughs> sure. So, so um, I'm watching the, the trees outside my window and the, the metaphor of, you know, we're so good as teachers as bending like that tree bow, you know, or bending like the reed and just, you have to just go with that flow. Um, and that's cool. yeah. I that's mean, a word that's used a lot for teachers being flexible. Oh, sure. The, the flexibility. Yeah. Well, also, you know, what goes into a strong tree is, all the elements of nature, you got to have water, you got to have sun, you got to have good food, you know, good soil for it, the conditions, everything. If you look at the elements, um, you know, sometimes things need to burn down. Burning down is not such a bad thing because it's through a burn, a major burn that the new growth can come through and flourish and, you know, the cycle starts over again. And so if we just take ourselves uh, a little less seriously I think and and apply this all the elements of nature we would I think we would just um, be happier as a species and flourish more I agree yes so I have a couple of um, just fill in the blanks to always okay. wrap this up so oh, I like this just, go yeah. for it all right so <laughs> Teaching is an honor. Oh, I love that, Lynn. It is an honor to be a teacher. The rest of the world doesn't always honor us, but we need to honor ourselves here again. Honor ourselves first. I hope my students remember me as... <laughs> I hope my students remember me as that kooky fun... <laughs> Effective. Uh, effective, uh, creative, um, nagging question asker. <laughs> what I love most about teaching is using my creativity and intuition to make a connection with with my subjects and share you know being of service in that way so wonderful yeah. well like i said everyone stay tuned because lynn's going to be back and we're going to type deeper in, dive yes into you know all of these different best practices for yourself to sustain your teaching and your sanity and the um is it what it said, I said earlier to keep um, 
the rest recovery and soul centering activities to keep your sanity and to keep from getting overwhelmed so we'll have a lot more for you in the future so thanks again lynn and stay tuned uh, as arnold said i'll be back right i'll be back right very nice thank you linda it was really an honor and fun to share time with you today <laughs>